Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Hey there, everyone. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Katie Orr, in this week for Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're broadcasting from our Sacramento Bureau. And we're going to do something a bit different and jump right into our conversation with this week's guest. That's right. It is an all-female cast this week on The Breakdown. And our guest is one of the most powerful Democrats in Sacramento. She might argue otherwise, but (laughs) she's head of the Assembly Appropriations Committee, a fearless advocate for working men and women. She's also a working mom and a prolific tweeter. We're going to talk about all that and more. Lorena Gonzalez, Assemblywoman, welcome to The Breakdown. Thank you. We just said this is a mom cast, a San Diego mom cast. <laughs> San Diego pride. Right? I know. Right. I was thinking I've worked with you for a decade. Oh, wow. So 2009, I was covering city council. We were like 16. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Wait, who's following who? <laughs> came to Sacramento first. I came to, to Sacramento first. She first. Did. That's right. Everyone, when she told me she was coming to Sacramento. And you were like, I got to get on that. Uh, yeah, I was like, hey, <laughs> Everyone that's in San Diego idea. is like, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all here now. Um, so, Assemblywoman, we mentioned in the opening that you chair the Appropriations Committee. And mm-hmm. I feel like to people who don't like, spend all their time up here like we do that's kind of this weird black box of of the legislative process so you guys are basically like the gatekeeper in each house for the bills it is where things are assessed in terms of how much they cost but it's also somewhere where often you can just like kill a bill and nobody hears about it no, no, everybody hears about <laughs> it. About it. Um, I think up here it's kind of a black box as well. I don't think that uh, people really understand it, but I try to explain it like this. We get about three quarters of the bills, um, anything with a fiscal impact If um, in the assembly. If it costs more than $150,000, um, then it's put on the suspense file. A lot of people get really freaked out when their bills get put on the suspense file. But it's, it's pretty automatic. It's yeah. just the numbers. And I, I don't intervene with the numbers. Um, you know, I, I trust staff. I trust, um, well, sometimes less departments um, <laughs> who tell me how much something is going to cost. And it's kind of an automatic thing. Um, and then you look at uh, the the bill and the cost of the bill and see if it's worth the cost. Do you read all the bills? I do. I read every bill um, that comes through appropriations. That sounds terrible. Yeah. <sighs> you always tweet about how you're in a probe tell. It is a probe tell. So, um, but you I, like it. I, I love it because I really, it's a unique position to be in. I get to see what all of my colleagues really work on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really get to see what their priorities are, what they work on, the bills that come through. Um, you learn a lot about subjects I never knew. I Google things and I'm like, ooh. I always like when there's like, it's about a bug or a pest or yeah, an you animal. Yeah, you like tweeting scary photos. And then I I've tweet photos. Because <laughs> I'm like, ooh, I have to share this. And now I know what it is. But, um, so I learn a lot. But things also die, not just because of how much they cost, right? I mean, sometimes it's a political decision. Does the speaker want, you know, the, its membership to have to go up on a bill? Is there other reasons? I mean... How much are you, like, talking to other people? How much power do you have as the appropriate chair to say, no, this is dead or this lives? Uh, The speaker 
it empowers all his chairs a lot. And so that's nice, I think, for all of us. Um, but I talk to a lot of people. And I think, again, if we take it back to it's not how much it cost. If it were just that, the most expensive bills would die and right. the cheapest bills would get through. But it's a cost-benefit analysis for, for what the bill does, um, for you know, maybe whether it's actually ever going to get off the floor or signed by the governor, you know, is a cost worth it? Um, is there a better way to do something? We amend bills. Are there, there's a lot of considerations that come in. One more question on approach. Then we want to move to your personal life. Okay. Um, <laughs> the fun <laughs> Much more exciting. No, no, no. But I just wonder, <laughs> is there ever been a bill that you had to, like, you know, stick the knife in that you were just really sad about that you personally wow. would have loved to, you know, get through? Yes. <laughs> Can you think of what it is? <laughs> and I, I, the decision was was the committee decision. Um, but I remember telling the author afterwards, I I really loved this bill, but I think you and I are the only ones who loved it. And it it had to do with um, helium balloons and banning <laughs> helium balloons. And um and Dr. Quirk, I mm-hmm. believe, was the author. And um I. There's part of me that's like, yeah, this is really dumb. We have helium blooms cause fires. <laughs> you know, they they kind of go out into the ocean. Right, and the there's all these environmental issues. It, it, it was when there's like, can't we figure out something else to do? Mm-hmm. But it's balloons. And, right. you know, right. not, you got to like, do you, do you kill happiness? Or you're gonna do die you, on like, that hill? you know, <laughs> have rational policy? I don't know. And so I, I, I think I went back and forth. I met with a lot of balloon distributors. Who knew? There are a lot in party cities and all those kind of stores in my district that sell balloons. Met a lot of workers um, and, and started feeling bad. And, you know, I, I at the end of the day, I think. Dr. Cork and I were the only two that really loved that bill. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to get into the history of Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, how she got here. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. All right. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Katie Orr, and we are talking today with Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. So we mentioned earlier we all grew up in San Diego. Yep. You grew up in Vista in Oceanside. I understand mm-hmm. your dad was a farm worker. Your mom was an ER nurse um, and probably had a couple other professions as well. No, she was just a nurse. My my dad was a farm worker or came over from Mexico as a farm worker, okay. but I was raised by my mother. And by the time I was born, they were both, um, right after I was born, they were divorced. And my father um, was slowly working his way out of um, that industry and into a bunch of others. So I, it's kind of weird to say, you know, my dad was a farm, he was a farm worker when At he one first point, got here. Yeah. Yes, but not You didn't as my grow father. up with that experience. No, I grew up with my mom. I grew up with a single mom, so, and she was a nurse. Well, and it sounds like your mom was a pretty powerful force. You know, she worked to unionize nurses. She worked up to three jobs, right? She Four did. Things. I don't, and again, I, it's funny because when you read things in print, you're like, yeah, but, you know, she wasn't like a union organizer. Mm-hmm. She was just a 
mom who went to work every day. So she worked in the emergency room of Tri-City Hospital. Um, she worked as a nurse for 40 years. She also took work as a per diem nurse um, in St. Clemente so that she could earn extra money. And then at one point, she started doing the billing for her the doctor's group in order to earn extra money. So um, at, every time there was a union organizing drive at the hospital, she was very supportive, you know, was was one of the one of the folks who, who fought for a union. But she wasn't an organizer. She wouldn't yeah, have ever had time. That, yeah. Like everybody's like, she was a union organizer. It's like, no, 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 no. She <laughs> wanted a union and fought for it, as many workers do. Um, they failed twice uh, while she was there. And then finally, right before she retired, uh, CNA came and organized. Do you feel like, I don't know, like what, like what did you learn from her that you've brought with you through <sighs> your political life and, and kind of, you know, the things that you've fought for? I mean, even yeah. if she's not like that political, it seems like you're watching this as a kid and you probably are thinking about workers' rights and Absolutely. She um, she wasn't political in the sense that we think like, you know, she wasn't going to fundraisers or walking door to door. Um, She was she was political in um, when she she went to East L.A. College. And during that time, um, she was also part of the medical students for civil rights um, group, which went to Louisiana um, to help people who were beaten up for registering voters. So um, there are something like in some ways, you know, she had this political (laughs) history, um, but she wasn't involved in politics we'd watch you know i think the conventions and she'd vote every single election to say the least after that kind of experience um but she really uh there is so much i I think probably more than anyone in my life my mom affected how i see the world um i i saw a woman work you know sometimes 50 60 hours a week to to make sure we had enough and um you know, little things like going from a public hospital to a quasi-public hospital and everything that they lost. You know, they lost a pension. They lost, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of their wages and benefits. Um, you know, I saw her always think about other people and the fact that she would tell us, you know, there are always people with less than us. There are always people. And we always had to, like, at Christmas time, um, we'd have to buy presents for a family or a orphanage in um, Tijuana because, you know, those people are poor, we weren't poor. We were working class. And so um, she worked extremely hard. Um, she believed in everybody and believed in, like, the dignity of work. And so definitely I got all of that from her. It sounds like you got involved with labor or, or introduced to it through a, a friend's father. Is that right? Was that, that something it, that... that- that's pretty good research yeah. there. Um, so I, uh, you know, I was in high school in Vista. And if anyone knows anything about Vista, it's North San Diego County. It's changing now. But when I was there, my mom had moved us from Oceanside to Vista. She thought it would be um, safer. Like mm-hmm. she was working so much. And she's like this little rural kind of mm-hmm. city in um it was, uh, I can't <laughs> not, see my facial expressions, safer. but it was safer. It was just kind of hard to be, uh, you know, Mexican kids of a single mom in Vista right. um, at, at the, in the late 80s. Um, and so I had a friend at school. We were cheerleaders together. And um, she was really liberal. It was really odd, like I was. And so we became good friends over, like, politics. And um, her name was Joy Buckwitz. And then I became close with her father, Jerry Buckowitz, who was the um, became the head of the Labor Council. Um, he at that time was running the United Way Labor Participation um, Program, and so he was very involved in organized labor, and that's what was the direct introduction. Connection. So you said you, you were already liberal at that point. Oh yeah, I mean, I I started walking precincts. I walked a precinct for Mondale Ferraro when I was, you know, I don't know, in 
elementary school. Oh, wow. I think. Um, yeah, I, I started registering voters. Like, I was probably, I was a member of the, like, Oceanside Democratic Club, and I'd go <laughs> register voters. Like, when we'd put a uh, ironing board out in front of Vons, you know, and then mm-hmm. back then you're like, oh, are you a Democrat? You want to register to vote? And nine times out of ten, it'd be somebody registering to vote as a Republican. You still had to register them. But it wasn't exactly <laughs> the liberal bastion. I remember knocking on people's doors like, are you know, and I didn't care about Mondale. I just really wanted Geraldine Ferraro to be our vice president, you know? <laughs> it was a woman's thing. I watched every convention. I think... Um, you know, my entire life watching speeches and stuff. It was just something you I was had really the interested. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Were, were you a big supporter of Hillary Clinton? What did you feel like when she lost? Um, so I, no. I became, <laughs> yes, I was devastated when she lost. Right. Okay. By, by the time the Trump Clinton, uh, race, I, I mean, I, I stayed in bed crying all the next day. Yes. I was devastated. Um, Early on, I, I I didn't support her right away. Um, I had actually hoped at that time that Biden would run. Um, I ended up running as a delegate for for Hillary um, Clinton. Met her a few times um, with my husband. She was really into Nathan. Um, they, they're both from Arkansas, I so have no you know, idea why. yeah. And so I was kind of like, hmm, no. Um, but she, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. She really grew on me. And uh, when we were actually at the convention, and you would see these women, I think this is. This is what struck me. You would see these women who were nominating her from different states, and they were like 103 years old, and they never thought a woman would be president. And it kind of relit that in me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a certain point where I was like, oh, it could be a woman. It could not be. Um, but it really got me excited again. And then, of course, it was an extreme high and an extreme low when she lost. All right. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Katie Orr, and our guest today is Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. All right. Well, we've been talking politics anyway. So let's get into this. You first ran, um, well, you ended up, I mean, you went to college, you went to law school, you worked for the lieutenant governor, right? I did. That I worked up here. Political mm-hmm. job. So you, this is not your first run in Sacramento. I spent a year up here. Um, I was part of uh, what they call the Executive Fellows Program. Okay. Um, basically, when I was in law school, I uh, Cruz Bustamante had become our lieutenant governor. I had read about him. He was challenging Governor Davis on Prop 187. I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's going to be first Latino governor. I got to go work for this guy. So I found the Executive Fellowship Program, um, applied. I was totally underpaid as an attorney um, coming up and working for lieutenant governor. And um, he did what you're not supposed to do, hired me out of the program. And uh, I've been blackballed ever since. Okay, I can't get a fellow. <laughs> um, but but I did work for lieutenant governor for a year here before going and running his Los Angeles office for another two years. And then he um, let me open a San Diego office. Well, and then when you you actually ran for office for the first time, it was against now San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner. You ran against him for a city council seat. And then you've said that you thought that was a mistake ultimately, that run. Why? Why? <laughs> well, first of all, I kind of got talked into it by a lot of people. I lived at the time, and you guys will understand this. It's hard for other people to understand that. At the time, I lived um, in a small area of Pacific Beach called Crown Point. And oh. it's really beautiful area. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Where a lot of... Um, wealthy white people live (laughs) right (laughs) and the district was you know kind of a swing district and you know uh, it it was not quite um 
the working class district that I now live in, that I came from, you know, it it was, I was a little out of my sorts, but I had done so much work on environmental issues and and environmental law that we really kind of pushed that. Um, Your brother is a big... Yeah, my brother also is one of the ones pushed me to run. Um, (laughs) But I didn't know anyone in San Diego proper. And um, I I had just returned um, to San Diego and I said, okay, I'll run. Like 18 people ran. It was a special election. um, And I lost to Kim Faulkner by several hundred votes. But well, that's a pretty good showing considering it was, all that. No, I, I we made it to the runoff and the runoff was like on June 6th or J- no, January 6th or something. It was right after the new year and oh. um, everybody kept saying, oh, you got to run again. It, it was going to be back up again in the primary. And I was like, no, I'm so tired of talking to people about their first world problems, which included <laughs> like stop signs and, you know, and I wouldn't be like, let's talk about big social issues and, mm. um, you fire know. Fire pits and fire. Yeah. <laughs> drinking on the beach. Yeah. Drinking, yeah. On. drinking on the beach was a big <laughs> yeah. issue. And, you know, I need a stop sign here. And um, so when uh, I remember then uh, she she was state senator, Christine Kehoe, and she's really like almost the mother of all politics, Democratic politics in San Diego. And she said to me, oh, you should run again. She goes, there's nothing like being a city councilwoman. She's like, you get to see like you get to go to ribbon cuttings and parades. And I thought, oh, my God, save me. No, (laughs) I can think of nothing I would want to do less. Um, And so and so after that, I said, "Eh, I'll go work for labor. So you did, mm-hmm. um, and you ran. You were the first woman to lead the San Diego and Imperial Counties Labor Council, this AFL CIO. What was that like? Like, did you feel like an outsider coming in at all as a woman, or uh, being, you know, pretty lefty? Like, was that accepted? Oh, it was totally accepted. I started as a political director, um, and I don't think that it was. Uh, I. I really didn't have a hard time. I came from a working class background. Um, I didn't come from organized labor in the sense that a lot of people say, like, my dad was a union painter or whatever. You know, my mom became a union member late, late in her career. In fact, right around the time, right before the time that I took over as political director. Um, And I started that way and I I met workers and, you know, I I loved it. I obviously uh, focused on worker issues um, primarily, but there was never a pushback. Um, I have two older brothers. I'm used to being around a lot of guys. Mm. I mean, it's not, you know, nothing really bothers me, thank God. And um, so I, I know how to drink a Bud Light. <laughs> you know, I mean, the prerequisite <laughs> uh, of representing organized labor. It was like, it's yeah. craft beer in San Diego I cannot now. drink craft beer and organized labor still does, does not it. So we're okay. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, you put a craft beer in front of me and I'm like, I, I taste metal. I know. I know. <laughs> but, but a Bud That's Light, Miller Light, it's actually Miller Light that we, <laughs> Because it actually says that it was made by union members. I can, I can take that. So, um, you know, I think that they appreciated where I came from, um, what I was trying to do. And then when my predecessor, Jerry Buckwitz, who introduced me full to labor, circle. Full circle. When he was retiring, he asked me to run for that position. It's an elected position among union members. And uh, I did. And I won. Cool. Talk to us a little bit about your kids. Uh, you, you, have you been... Like, where in all of this... Oh, yeah, where did they fit in? <laughs> when did they come? Uh, have you been a single mom for a long time? I, or had I, you? I had been. you. I'm not so. now. We'll right. get to that um, next. So, yeah. Okay. I'm going to start this by saying I my personal life has always... Was, until recently, always a mess. I, I mean, and I'm pretty honest about this. I, I love to go talk to young women and say, you know... There's some things we don't put on our resume, right? So uh, I, I went to Stanford, went across the country with um, uh, my boyfriend at the time, um, who was playing for the Baltimore Orioles, and uh, was in graduate school at Georgetown and was pregnant. 
and uh, did not want to get married because I was pregnant, but later decided maybe we should. But um, found out I was pregnant when I was, uh, you know, way too young. I think I was 21, um, not married, not wanting to get married, wanting to go to law school. And so uh, I moved back out to California, went to UCLA law school, trying to just kind of get my head around like what I had just decided to do. So you were doing all the stuff we just talked about with kids. Oh, yeah. So my oh. daughter was born my first year in law school at UCLA. Wow. And then um, her and I went to Sacramento and kind of I had my relationship with her father and a lot of drama. And um, I, I had had enough. And so um, it was on again, off again. And then uh, that's when I decided to move back to San Diego because she was going to start kindergarten. And I wanted her, I wanted to kind of settle in mm-hmm. with her. Yeah. And then... I remember right after like 9-11, I don't know, I I suddenly was like, I want another baby, but I should get married first. <laughs> I definitely should get married first. And so um, I met this guy. Oh, God. This is, I, all right. This first time ever have I told these stories. So I met this guy. This political breakdown was, therapy session. Who was okay. doing dignitary protection for the governor. So oh, wow. for people who don't understand, CHP serves as like the bodyguards for the governor, but they wear suits. So like... You don't really look like think a cop. of them. Yeah. No, he was Latino kind of and, in. you know, looked good in a suit. And we dated for a few weeks and then got engaged. And um, <laughs> a, a few months later, we got married. And on my wedding night, I got pregnant. So I have baby number two. That's Antonio. But you can imagine with that setup, it that didn't last long. challenging, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they're traveling a lot, right? Well, he had moved back to San Diego and he was like a motorcycle cop. Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, (laughs) Which is going to make when we get to her current husband less confusing, I think. Let's jump to to Nathan. Yeah, so then I was a single mom for a long time. For a long time. For a long time I was a single mom. I just, you know, I I was like, gave up on on men. I gave up on on my ability to choose men. How did you balance, before we get to Nathan Fletcher, um, how did you balance that with like, I mean, I imagine in the labor movement, there was a lot of night events, Mm -hmm. all running for office. Like, Like, did you have support? from your family or did you just kind of like well my mom passed away who was my biggest support system um right when i was the the same month i took over organized as the head of the labor council um yeah it was really hard she she died of cancer um and she told me on her deathbed that i had to take care of my stepfather who she'd gotten married to when i was older so i knew him but um she said you get him um no, but, uh, and so he helped a lot. I took my kids everywhere. My kids really grew up in the movement. Um, I I just brought them with me and, um, and, you know, relied on family and friends. Well, and so fast forward to now, you've been married for what, about two years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years to now uh, San Diego County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher. Now yes. Democratic. Yeah, and <laughs> I was going to say, I think... That took a lot of people by surprise because he had famously been a Republican assemblyman. Former Marine. Former Marine. I mean, when I met him, he was in the assembly and he was like the sort of hope for the Republican Party in some ways because they saw him really as a rising star. Yeah, that's because he was a Democrat. (laughs) That's our only hope. (laughs) And then he was actually a Democrat inside. Right. And he was so technically on paper Republican, Mm -hmm. switched to an independent, now is a Democrat. What role did you play in that? process you know we knew each other very uh we we i i 
met Nathan when um, I was head of labor and we became friends and um, we talked a lot about policy and we um, spent a long time and I never understood why at that point he was a Republican. I never, it never matched up with um, not just, you know, somebody can talk about what their values are, but really what he was living, you know, and so I'd always say like, how are you a Republican? Like you care far too much about working people and immigrants and, um, all these things. So um, I, I was happy uh, during the transition and then um, <laughs> the transition, the transition to Democrat, <laughs> the transition to a Democrat. And I guess, you and know, he got a divorce, which was and then we, you know, we'd been friends for so long that, uh, you know, we slowly grew into a relationship. So. Cool. so we mentioned earlier, you're pretty prolific on social media. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like how your kids feel about that. Are they cool with it? Uh, my daughter tweets at me a lot. She's so always tweeting. Yeah. She's <laughs> fine with it. Um, you know, sometimes she Do they gets... ever yell at you to, like, put down your phone? Um, no. When I'm with them, I rarely am on my phone. I try. I, I know, you know, when I'm with my kids, I try to be doing with that. my kids. Um, Does it ever get you in trouble? Oh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Because <laughs> well, you, you really engage people. Like, I often see somebody, like, who maybe sends some, like, fire my way, and I'm like, eh, not even worth it. But you, like, engage everybody. Do you feel like you change minds sometimes? Um, well, first of all, I don't engage everybody. Okay. But because I get a lot of fire, <laughs> and then I'm like, well, once in a while, I'm like, I have to do this. I... I I don't know if I change minds. I hope so. Um, I think that, you know, we, we have that discussion. And sometimes it's just showing, I think, hypocrisy of the other side. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, quite frankly, being in the public eye, um, people are really mean. Yes. Yeah. And, and they say Especially very mean online. Things. Because I feel like they think it's Especially like shouting in your car. It's mm-hmm. like they don't think you're a real person in right. some weird way. Right. So sometimes I'll... Um, and, and I'll give this as an example. I'll I'll retweet somebody. It, we have a lot of male folks who like stalk me, and um, they like to call me fat. Which you know, I'm a big girl. I'm okay with that. Um, but I also am very clear. I I used to be a very tiny girl, um, and and probably not how my body is made. And you know, when when you've uh, decided to eat like crackers and mustard for dinner, then you, you have problems. And so I'm really comfortable with who I am post babies, post you know growing up. And when somebody gets online and they say hateful things like that, I just think it's important for other women to stand up and say, you know oh, what? First of all, I'm very comfortable with myself and um and my husband's so cute because anytime I do it he's like and I think she's hot (laughs) like yeah um but I think that sometimes I use those moments because I know that it's not just them watching that there are um a lot of young women women in politics people who are in the public eye who face this too and sometimes you have to stand up and be like yeah look I mean you also tweet like have policy discussions with people um well and I was just gonna say that it seems like just watching your career up here in the assembly that you've never been afraid to take on a controversial bill. I mean, <laughs> understatement of the year. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's from like unionizing farm workers, uh, getting employment rights for cheerleaders, mm-hmm. um, and this year certainly AB five. And, and first of all, I'm going to ask you, how and do you vaccines. say? Yeah, you know, and vaccines. Uh, do you say Dynamex? Dynamics. I started saying Dynamex. The attorneys for the case told me they were it was Dynamics, but then everybody kind of settled back on Dynamex, so I'm going to say Dynamex. <laughs> okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit. This is a bill that really um, would limit who can be considered a contract worker in California, mm-hmm. and it's incredibly controversial. It is. Um, and, and what I remind people is, is I didn't come up with this idea. The Supreme Court made a decision about employment status, and um, they they created this ABC test in the Dynamics decision. We all knew, and employers know, and we all know that 
as cases go through the courts, it'll be applied to everybody. So rather than sit and wait for 10 years for for there be uncertainty with employers and employees, we said, let's take it, codify it, and and make sure everybody understands where they stand. Um, I'm hopeful we'll get to a place that that a lot of people, a lot of employers may not be happy with, but um, in the long run is is good for the state. It protects our pocketbook, um, good for taxpayers and good for employees and um, certainty for businesses. So you are perhaps probably the most prominent Latina woman in state government right now. And I would definitely say on Twitter, definitely on Twitter, <laughs> for sure. But there are more Latinas in uh, state legislature now in the state legislature now than there have been ever, ever. Yes. So like what 16 you, of us. Yeah. So what do you what do you hope comes from that? What do you think that will change in the legislature? So I think it changes a lot. Look, um, Latinas are about 20 percent of the of the overall population. And yet in California, where we are proud of our diversity and proud of all the barriers we've broken, we've never even had a Latina in statewide office. Never. So we've had every other demographic. Um, and what Which you're hoping mean? to change. I hope to change, of course. That, <laughs> well, there was a certain point where I was like, I can't just bitch about it. Like, I've got to actually say, am I willing to to put myself out there and do this? Um, I, I think that... Uh, we should say by running for secretary. By yeah, running for secretary, secretary in 2022, mm-hmm. ways off. But um, I, I think uh, that a lot of us um, who are Latina have a, a story and a background um, and kind of a shared experience um, with a lot of non-Latina women as well, but we tend to um, try to do the mix with family and work. And um, I remind folks that we we come from a history of women who always had to work, like entering the job force isn't something new. And so a lot of the issues that come up and the priorities we have are those which um, a lot of, I think, women are facing today. Awesome. Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having yeah, me. Thank you so, so much. Fun. All right. That is going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Sonia Hudson, and our engineers are Rob Spate and Seal Muller. Our leadership team includes Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Katie Orr. You can follow me on Twitter at OneKatieOrr. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at MLagos. That's a wrap for this week's Political Breakdown from KQED. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.